LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, and today I am without Todd Adkins. He is hiking somewhere in the mountains on vacation, but that's okay because we have an awesome guest today, and that is Andy Wood, who serves as the lead pastor at Echo Church in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's also the host of the Echo Leadership Podcast. Andy, how are you doing today? Doing great, Chandler. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely, man. We're excited to, to talk to you and hear a little bit about your leadership journey, what you're learning right now and all that good stuff. But man, just as I said, you you host the Echo Leadership Podcast. You're in the Bay Area, which allows you to be in proximity to some of you know the most innovative entrepreneurs venture capitalists. There is so much going on in that area. And on your podcast, you actually get to bring some of those people on as guests and learn from them. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and then would love to hear about maybe some of your favorite interviews that you've done. Yeah. So uh, we're right in the middle of the San Francisco Bay area in Silicon Valley. So uh, within 10 to 15 minutes of our campuses, you have Facebook, Google, Apple, Yahoo, you know, Tesla's right down the road. So you have all these companies that uh, have influenced the the narrative culturally that we're currently living in. So we moved out here to start the church in 2009. One of the things we realized is a very different culture than where I was in Texas, mm-hmm. where I went to seminary, uh, South Carolina, where I went to college and even Michigan, where I grew up. There are some wonderful things and some really challenging things, but one of the really incredible things about the Bay Area is there's so much innovation. Uh, People are constantly breaking rules that maybe have held companies and organizations back for decades. So I love being able to learn from the people in our community who are doing that. Uh, One example is a guy named Scott Hempy. He started a company called Filled with his wife, Kylie. Uh, They started it when they were like just out of college. And it's this uh, company that basically goes around and fills cars up with gases, with gas. Um, So we had him on the podcast. I had uh, the unique privilege of sitting down with a guy named Kevin Compton, who founded an organization called Radar Partners. He's a venture capitalist. But before that, he was with Kleiner Perkins. And he was in the room when Jeff Bezos made his pitch. So I, I got to actually like hear from him what it was like to be in the room when Jeff Bezos from Amazon was sharing his initial vision for all that that would be. So it's just it's really a, a unique area to live. And I feel like because I get to have so many of these incredible conversations with people from our area, I love to I wanted to open that up so people from all over the country could learn from Silicon Valley as we've had the privilege to do so. Mm. Yeah, there's there's so much to learn there. and. It's also, I mean, talking with people who are innovating in that way cause you to kind of raise the bar and probably even think outside the box. So you are leading, I mean, like you said, you you're, you went to school, you know, kind of in a different area. You went to seminary in a different area. And then you jump over to the Bay Area, which is a very different culture. And you, you guys plant Echo Church and you're leading that and pastoring the people there. What has that been like, you know, navigating the, the cultural differences and understanding how to take the gospel to that to that area? I can go back over the last you know, 13 years since we've been here, and it's it's been unique at different seasons in different ways. So when we started the church, 
you know, we kind of just tried to keep our heads down and plant the church. We had a pretty clear vision of what we felt like God had called us to do in terms of our values and the type of church that we were called to create. Um, one of the things that we realized pretty quickly is there's a lot of hostility towards the church in general. So for us, if we were going to be able to reach people who are beyond the walls of the church, we had to make serving in our community a really big deal. So from day one, before we even launched the church, we were serving at community events. And I know there's not a whole lot that is super innovative about that, but um, we just discovered that that tore down a lot of bridges. Um, what I would say over the last decade or so, increasingly, we've seen the the tension that has been rising politically in our country um when i talk to a lot of my friends who are in more conservative areas the challenges that they face are very different than what we face out here so you have people that are influenced by a worldview that in many ways uh is very different than a lot of what i grew up with so i've had to learn how to have conversations with people who see things very differently than me and do, do it in a way that resonates. You know, I love how Tim Keller, he talks about how the gospel pushes against the right and the left. Mm. And there are different values and beliefs that are upheld in, in both political, all cultures that, that push against, that the gospel pushes against. And then there are some that you can find components or threads in the culture that you can resonate with. So I, I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been to wade through the complexity of all that and have conversations in a way that that brings people along. Um, another another example of this would be the conversation around LGBTQ. Um, there, there's so much in our culture here in the Bay Area uh, that almost would ostracize people who don't affirm that lifestyle. But you know, biblically, uh, we know that God created man and woman and marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman before God. So we've had to learn how do we have that conversation in a way that really builds bridges rather than put walls up. And that's probably more than you were asking, but it's, it's very complex to do all that. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. And I know that, um, there's a lot of pastors who would love to just sit down They're They're just entering some of the conversations that you've been navigating for 10 years um, and it's kind of, you know, come to their doorstep. So it's super helpful to even hear how you guys are ministering in that way. And, you know, the first question that we're going to ask is who are you learning from? And you already answered that a little bit about just even in your, in your context and, and then even on guests that you're bringing on to your podcast. Um, but who else would you say that you're learning from in this current moment? Yeah, well, with your permission, I kind of want to take the question a little bit different of a route. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get to who I'm currently learning from. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, even as I look back, so I'm turning 40 this year. As I look back, I started in ministry when I was 18 years old. And from about 18 to mid to late 20s, you're learning a lot of the basics of ministry. So, you know, for, for example, a lot of the Andy Stanley leadership book, John Maxwell books, all, all the really uh, kind of elementary sounds almost dumbing it down, but the beginning of mm -hmm. the leadership journey. I think when you get into your thirties, like when I look back, there was a lot more learning specialty type learning around how to build what God had put in my heart. I would say now at this season of life, there's still a lot of that specialization. So some, some examples would be um, Kevin Penry, who was on staff uh, at Life Church for about 20 years, 
he's been consulting with our team and he's been helping us scale with campuses. So that's one unique lane. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations with Katie Cole, who uh, has helped us kind of navigate the, the complexity of the diversity in our area and how do we uh, build leadership teams that are diverse. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with um, uh, Dan Kimball throughout the, the uh, last little bit. He wrote a, a great book called How Not to Read the Bible. So I've been learning from him. So, the, you know, there are different people in this season. One of the things I was going to say on this, though, that I'm learning a lot is trying to find those people that are in their 60s and 70s. Because what I realize now at 40 it's a lot harder to run for 40, 50 years in ministry and finish with your soul intact, your marriage intact, your family intact. So I'm, I'm doing a lot more trying to understand those mentors of ours who've gone before us. Steve Stroop would be one for me from Lake Point Church in Dallas, Larry Osborne from North Coast out in San Diego, who in their 60s still love Jesus. They're, you know, their kids are, uh, love the church mm-hmm. and, uh, that kind of learning, I think, has been more my, my recent type of learning that I've been doing. No, that's really helpful to break it down in those categories. And even hearing you talk about, you know, the early early parts of ministry, and I think you used the word basic or fundamentals or foundational, you know, trying to read uh, the basics of, uh, of leadership. But then you said, hey, we kind of get into the specialized moments where you're kind of forming, this is, I've got to make the decision on the fly. We're, we're building campuses. Okay, it's turning things that I read that were foundational into reality. What, what did that jump look like for you? You know, I know that you went out to the Bay area, planted a church, then all of a sudden when you almost hit that scale mode and you mm-hmm. kind of look around, what was, what would you say were the biggest obstacles for you as you were turning some of those foundational aspects? You're like, I know how this is supposed to work, but mm-hmm. now the rubber, the rubber meets the road here. What, what advice, and it, this is almost kind of asking number five, but for yeah. somebody who's trying to turn those foundational leadership principles into reality, what were some of the obstacles that you hit in that? Yeah, I think what happens is, you know, if God gives you the grace of leading something that grows, you hit tension points along the way. And one of my mentors says that most of uh, life's greatest opportunities come as a what, but almost all of life's greatest problems come as a who. And so when you, when you lead a lot of the tension that you develop is in the who category, because you're trying to develop people who may be able to see, oversee large portions of ministry or build systems. And I'm, I'm primarily thinking from like a lead pastor um, angle when I say this. Uh, But I would say that for me personally, the area that has been the most tension that's required the most amount of time and energy is learning to develop um, leaders and to how do you lead the organization when people don't grow with the organization, repositioning people, helping people realize that they need to take a different role or a smaller role. I would say that whole big category for me is one that I continue to learn and grow in. Uh, the financial aspect is another one. I think a lot of ministries, when they're growing, a part of being able to scale is having the resources. And w- we know that that's generosity and stewardship, but I would say that that's another huge component of it. So what I I, I kind of saw in my like late 20s, early 30s, I couldn't really do a deep dive on any of those areas, like multiple areas at once. So what I would do is I kind of would frame in my mind, okay, 
This year, I want to do a deep dive on leadership development. Next year, I want to do a deep dive on generosity and stewardship. Uh, this year, I want to do a, a deep dive on scaling and systems. And kind of that mindset allowed me to go a little bit deeper. But then I think that there hit a point as our church grew where we started getting closer to four campuses and 30 plus people on staff that my deep dive actually became a limiting factor to the, to the church's growth. So if I was too far in the weeds and I knew too much, then I wouldn't give my energy to finding the person that could grow with that area. So, you know, one of the axioms that's been super helpful for me is that to, to grow into a new, a new level of leadership, you always are giving stuff up. So you give up to go up and part of leadership and the growth or learning is saying, okay, what are the things in this season that I need to give up in order to go up to that next level that God would have for me as a leader. Man, that that's really helpful to even hear because you think just even those deep dives, I was sitting there, I was like, man, that, that is very helpful. But then at some point you're so far behind trying to catch up where somebody else already is thinking about finances and you're like, yeah. I need to delegate and just give you the power to lead out in the finances area. So like you said, releasing that to them, that's, that's a great distinction and axiom. Well, talking about your leadership team and those that you're leading, what is the main point of emphasis for your team right now? As we are recording this, uh, we are in our area and in, still in intra-COVID uh, mm. season. So we're like between uh, being fully back to normal or new normal, whatever that means. <laughs> and um, we have encountered more criticism in the last year uh, than we probably encountered in the first 12 years of, of ministry. Mm. So we've been giving a lot of attention to how do we respond to criticism? We, we've taken a road that probably has made it more difficult. So, you know, you can kind of go one extreme or the other. We're not super extreme. We've tried to stay in the middle. So in terms of our response to COVID, like, you know, some churches totally shut down, some churches, no, no mask, you know, we're going to keep, through all this, we've been in the middle on that. Uh, even on a lot of the racial tension that we've had in our response, we've tried to navigate and lean into that, but we're, we're not woke enough for some people and we're not, you know, dogmatic enough for others. So all that being said, I can, I can say one thing, our church can address one thing, and then we have criticism for, from multiple angles. So I recently did a training with our staff called Jesus Tough and Tender. And we looked at what, is it, what does it mean to have a tender heart towards the things that God cares about? And then how do you have thick skin? So part of leadership is you develop thick skin. And there are times where you look at the ministry and life of Jesus, where he had a ton of criticism. He had people that disagreed with him and he didn't say anything. He just kept his mouth shut. There are other times when the religious leaders spoke up and Jesus, you know, started flipping tables at the temple. So we've been trying to really wrestle through in the midst of this, like, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, how do we come through the criticism and the difficulty of this season where we don't smell like smoke at the end of it? Hmm. And, um, it's been a really fun conversation. I'm, I'm sure. And you were talking about all the criticism, and man, I know that that's gotta be tough. So just want to encourage you in that. And I know many listening are also sitting there like Andy, I totally agree with you. This past year has just been criticism on any decision we make. Uh, and I think of the quote, I read it recently. I think it's from John Ortberg. He says, 
leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand. <laughs> and I read that and I was just like, that's a tough calling of leadership. You know, you kind of want the, the really nice quotes of leadership, but it's like, sometimes it is disappointing people and the criticism, but the, the tender heart and the tough skin and understanding how to navigate that. So that's, that's a really helpful distinction for, you know, your staff, but even just to hear looking. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say Chandler on that is it's really easy when you go through a season where you have a lot of criticism and you have people say things about you that are not true. Um, One side is that you want to defend yourself. Another side is dealing with that bitterness that builds up in our heart. And I do believe that there, there is an invitation in the season for our formation as leaders. Like one of the the passages of scripture that really hit me that I've actually preached on, uh, on Easter this year was when Jesus is hanging there on the cross and, you know, the Roman soldiers have beaten him. He's, you know, he's walked through the cat of nine tails on his back. His flesh is hanging out. He's got a crown of thorns in his head and he looks down and he says, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I, I want to be developed by Jesus in that way that my heart has the ability to forgive people that harm me, that harm our ministry. And it's also a really good time to cultivate a deeper level of intimacy with the father to get our cues from him, to let him lead and guide, to let the Holy Spirit give unction to the things that he's wanting us to do, do not just what we want to do. And I think all of us have had our flywheel of ministry really crushed in the last year. And we can either try to go back to that, or we can see it as an invitation to allow God to, to cultivate a deeper level of love and intimacy with him. And I've tried to maintain that perspective and it's helping me a a whole lot. You know, even as you were saying, I know that different areas have different stories of what the past year has looked like. So before we just head to the next question, I'd love to just hear like starting last March, like we're over a year of this, what, what does it look like to pastor um, your church in the midst of all of this? Like kind of what, what have you guys gone through? And, you know, you went online trying to figure out, are we going to open back up? What does that look like for Echo Church? Yeah, the, the first bit was honestly the best part of COVID for us because we actually were in executive meeting uh, our, on Mondays, we have our executive team meeting. And when we got the order from the state and we could kind of see it coming down, we had already canceled services the previous Sunday or moved everything online, I should say. And uh, we're in that meeting and we basically reorged everything. We put job descriptions around everybody. We created new priorities. We created six teams. We, I mean, wow. we, it was so boom, totally boom, boom, shifted boom. resources, moved yeah. people around. Okay. And we had a ton of flexibility, but we, we jumped out of the gates really fast um, really hard. And we were, we were cruising and I, you know, I don't think anybody saw, maybe somebody did, but very few people saw what would it, what it would be. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, okay, six to eight weeks, we'll be back. We'll be meeting again. Physically. Here we are. We're like, how, how foolish were we? <laughs> yeah. We'll relaunch this thing at Easter. Oh, we'll relaunch it. You know? So all that to say in the beginning, we really emphasized compassion serving in the community. That was awesome we started hitting more tension kind of June, July, August, when you started having all these different narratives and you don't know like which narrative is true. Like, you know, you have the Uber 
conservative and then you have the uber liberal conservative uh, perspective and you're tr- you're trying to navigate this the team is diverse on all of this so we've had to have a lot of conversations about like how we're navigating it and i i tried to like i was the voice of pushing everybody further than they wanted to go especially towards regathering physically and that was hard um we had a lot of arguments um I think that there, I was pretty close to splitting our church a few times. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of times I'm just being real raw here where I was like, I'll take five people and go start by myself again. You know, like <laughs> I'll start this thing over uh, with whoever wants to start and we're going to start meeting physically. But the question that really helped me uh, and we could go deeper on all this, but the question that really helped me Chandler was these decisions that I'm making, how will they play out 10 years from now? And I, Steve Stroop and Larry Osborne both were great helps during that time because they're much further down the road. They'd never been through a pandemic, but they're, they're very wise. And that question of how will this play out 10 years from now really helped stabilizing, stabilize me. My wife said to me one day, she said, Andy, um, you're not make you're not embracing reality. And because you're not embracing reality, you're making yourself miserable and you're making everyone else on the team miserable. And the sooner that you would embrace reality, the easier it would be on the rest of us. And so that helped me a a ton just saying, what are the limitations that I can't change and how do I live within that? Hmm. Okay, so there's a lot there. And of course the limitations of a pandemic are larger than most, Uh, (laughs) but you said facing reality. So sometimes, as leaders, we don't want to face the reality that's in front of us. Of course, that may be the limitations of a pandemic. It may be other things as well. So what, when you decide, of course, I mean, that's sometimes your, your spouse just has the words that cut right through it and you're like, okay, I needed to hear that. But there's a lot of truth in that as well. So as you were, you know, facing and understanding the reality of the limitations, what would you say, and this, let's just kind of go generic leadership, not just the pandemic. What did you learn from that? And how did that set you up later to be able to lead more clearly through that? So that's a great question. I I would say part of what, you know, reality, people have their own reality. And this is not to be like postmodern, but perception usually is the way a person sees their reality. And I think part of what I had to learn was that as a, with my wiring, I feel like I can just change anybody's perspective on anything. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize like, there, there are some people that are not going to see this thing the way I see it. And so I have to wade through the complexity of that. And really practically what that meant for us was creating options for different groups of people that see things differently and not shaming anybody who doesn't see it the exact same way that we do. And at the same time, still being bold, having a level of authentic uh, courage to push us forward, to keep meeting physically when we could. But then some people, they don't want to come out of their house and we got to keep doing a great job for them online. And we're not going to shame them for that. So that I think that that's where I landed was I can still push us, but I also can make space for people who don't see it the same way that I do. Yeah, man, that's great.
No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches, as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, and they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash lifeway for your free download. Well, we could we could spend probably a whole other podcast on that whole yeah. topic. So let's let's move to the next question here. What are two to, two or three things outside of reading the Bible? Because uh, you know that's kind of the the gimme answer that you must yeah. absolutely do daily. And what benefit do they have in your life and leadership? Does showering count? <laughs> that's a good one. That's a great one. <laughs> um, I would say uh, one one thing that really it's kind of may seem super obvious, but sleep, uh, is one habit that I've been giving a lot of attention to. I recently have gotten this whoop app. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Yeah. And it'll, it'll make you really pay attention to your sleep. Uh, I would say that that's one habit that I've really noticed the correlation between my performance, my ability to focus, what level I lead at, if I'm sleeping exercise, of course, I'm, you know, if I get less than five or six days a week and exercise, it, it affects me. Um, some really other practical things that I, I put in my daily kind of habits. Um, I always want to give my kids a hug before they go to sleep and say, I love you. And at some point during the day, find at least one thing that I see in them that they did right. Like, especially having boys who are teenagers, it's easy to see a lot of things that are wrong at this point. <laughs> so, um, one of my, one of my buddies who has grown kids and all his kids are walking with Jesus have a great relationship with them. He said he made it, a, he made it a goal when his kids were teenagers to say one positive thing. And I love you every day. So I picked that up. Um, giving my wife a hug in the morning is another thing for me personally, a gratitude journal. And to be honest with you, I've been trying to do it. My wife knocks the gratitude journal out the park, but uh, that's one habit that I've been putting in place where I just write down three things inside of a dedicated journal for uh, gratitude. Those are some of the things that help me. No, I, I love that. These are these type of questions hearing about daily rhythms just fascinate me. And uh, when you talk about sleep, I've just heard a lot of people talking about how integral or integral that sleep is in leadership. And it's often we neglect it oftentimes where we want to try to just pack as much into the day as possible. And absolutely, we need to do that. But there is also, I mean, God created us for the rhythm of rest and sleep is, is pivotal to that. So I know the, I know you're talking about the, the, the band, the whoop band that you have, and it kind of is pointing some things out. How do you make sure that you are getting enough sleep and how have you seen that affect your personal leadership? 
One, one thing my wife um, said recently, so she's training for an ultra marathon in, uh, in her, on her 40th birthday. So she's going to run 40 miles on her 40th birthday. I, I'm not going to, I'm going to do a marathon. Say, you, yeah. <laughs> is that the same for you? <laughs> no, we're going to do a marathon together, but she's going to do the ultra. I'm like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go that far. I, I like to, I like muscle, you know, I don't want to like shrivel up. So anyways, um, but she has a nutritionist, this gal from our church. And basically the nutritionist, nutritionist was saying to her, like, you have to, you have to act like you're an elite athlete at this point. Like you cannot play around with your sleep. And that that's helpful for me too. Like when you look at, I read a book um, that Tom Brady wrote and it's basically his training method called TB12. And he talks a lot about sleep and nutrition and uh, hydration. And it sounds really far into the weeds, but he, he leads himself at a level that no, like very few people do. And it's contributed to him being one of the greatest of all times. So I have to think of like, we don't, we don't watch hardly any TV. We watch, this is us is like the one show we watch and we watch it once a week when the new show comes out. And then when there's like a gap, we don't, you know, so we don't watch a lot of TV when our kids go to bed. Like we pretty much wind it down at eight 30 where, you know, we, we read. Uh, so I have, I find that the discipline on the front end, setting up the day for the, the back end, writing down what I'm going to do the next day, setting up my clothes, um, having kind of a shutdown nightly routine. Uh, I do much better when I put my phone away, so I'm not on my phone. Um, but I, I have a pretty fierce commitment to not having my phone next to my bed or being on the phone when I'm in bed and, um, not drinking caffeine plus past two, which I'm not all, I don't always do, that's but that's another, right there. yeah. So, but I, I think of it like, you know, I, I want to be able to lead at a higher level. And I notice my engagement in meetings, my focus on deep work, all of that goes up when I'm rested. And, uh, and then I play catch up if I have to, like, you know, I, I have a few days if I travel or whatever, I'm playing catch up on the back end. but it's that self care allows me to minister to more people and have a greater influence with my life. And I just have become convinced of that because I see the trade-off when I'm, when I'm not doing that. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for diving into that a little bit further with us. That's, that's helpful to know. So what does leadership in your home look like? You mentioned, you know, your, your wife, and you have your, your boys who are now teenagers. What does leadership in your home look like right now? It's been really hard during this season. Um, I would say that in fact, when I look back on my whole journey of parenting and leadership in the home, uh, this has been one of the hardest seasons aside from when I was in seminary. And um, the way I try to think of it at this season is sowing seeds. Um, And so I, you know, we have several different habits that are huge for us. Um, We, we weekly do Sabbath. So from Friday night to Saturday night, it's a Sabbath. We make it fun. We watch a movie together. We eat a nice meal. We have fun as a family. Uh, but you know, over half the time, my kids are fighting with each other, you know, or, uh, we're, I try to do devotionals at dinner where I'll like read, you know, read a Psalm and talk about it, but there's like very little interest. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, uh, So part of what, you know, part of that is just trying to, I want my kids to see me as an advocate and, um, that I'm, I'm there to have fun 
it's hard for me to do that because I'm, I'm pretty driven and serious, but you know, we, we do a lot of spike ball during this season. Oh yeah. Um, and the other aspect spiritual, uh, spiritually for us that we, we made a commitment early on Chandler that we were going to have our kids. We were just going to drag our kids along in ministry and we were going to involve them in everything we do. And pretty much everything that we do aside from like executive meetings, our kids are there this last Sunday. Um, both my boys who like to sleep in are up at six 30. They want to be up to go to church and serve. Uh, my daughter who's seven walked in the, my bedroom the other day and she said, dad, I'm pretty much on staff now. And I said, <laughs> what? She said, yeah, I'm a worship leader. I just got a worship leader role in, in one of the uh, kids rooms. So that the difficulty of that early on, like shuffling the kids around now we're, we're seeing it where our kids love the church. They want to be there mm -hmm. whenever the doors are open. They want to be the last to leave. Uh, they'll stay and they're, you know, they're running around the building, the younger ones chasing, you know, they got friends that they're chasing, but I think that one of the things that I really want for my family is for my kids to really love the local church. And I would say that that's a huge part of spiritual leadership because when they move out of my house, eventually they're, they're going to make their own decisions about engaging in the local church, their relationship with God and loving it. And it being a way of life for them is, is so huge. Yep. And, you know, that's not always how the story goes. Uh, there's resentment towards the local church. And I know we all have our own journeys in that. But like you said, the sowing seeds and then letting the Lord, you know, grow what he will there. And just the, I love hearing that. <laughs> I love that your daughter is like, I'm basically on staff now. And the funny thing is, is oftentimes pastors, kids, like especially on Sundays, sometimes they put in the hours as if they were on staff, you know, it's often yeah. it's like, Hey, we need to move these chairs. Well, who's around? Oh, they're around. So they, they end up putting in the hours just like the rest of the staff. So that's great to hear. Yeah. Well, let's go to the last question here. What would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? I think that's a fantastic question. One of my mentors, uh, a guy named Michael Fletcher said that in your forties and fifties, you, you pay or you're rewarded for the decisions that you make in your twenties and thirties. And by God's grace, I had a lot of really good mentors in my twenties that came alongside. Uh, the thing that I would say Stacey and I both did well was that we took serious the small decisions in terms of character, um, our own personal stewardship, sexual purity, um, time with Jesus, clearing up relationships, living an open and honest life, um, being quick to apologize and repent for sins. Like a lot of those basics, I would say, give attention to little things because those little things add up. And you see either the compound effect of them in your 30s and 40s or 50s, or you see the the, the reality that you didn't pay attention to those. All, all that I think is like, that's pretty basic stuff. Like, you know, most people say that to people in their 20s. The thing I wish I understood when I was 25, and I don't know if I would have heard it, but I didn't realize how hard this would be. And I think that for somebody who's in their early twenties, if they can understand the longer you lead, the harder it is. And the perks 
are whatever your perks are in ministry, whether it's the freedom with your schedule or, you know, ability to travel or do fun things or whatever, the, the pain of ministry is equal to the perks. And, um, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. And he told us that because if we understand that there's going to be difficulty, when we hit difficulty, we turn to him and we don't think because there's difficulty, we're doing something wrong. Like you're going to encounter hardship and suffering because you do the right thing, because you love God, because you preach the gospel, because you're reaching people who don't know Jesus, all of that, it's going to result in pain in your life. And I would say, give attention to the pain and let the pain push you further into the presence of God. Second, you know, Corinthians, when Paul says the thorn in my flesh, my grace, God said back, you know, my grace is sufficient for you and embrace that pain as a part of God's development plan to make you more like Jesus and make you a better leader. Mm. Man, that's just a great way to end it right there. And it's funny you say that about, I don't know if my 25 year old self would listen to this, um, yeah. but it is such a, a needed reminder. And thank you for sharing that. And just thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Andy, and, and walking through the five questions. And thank you for listening. We do hope that this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And while you're there, go check out the Echo Leader Leadership Podcast with Andy. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.